Hello, and you are listening to the audio podcast, First Person Drunk, an audio podcast brought to you by the public domain, Whiskey, and me, Miles Tabor. I'm reading Danny's Own Story by Don Marquis, Chapter 4. Any errors in the text are the fault of one of those things I've mentioned, me, Whiskey, the public domain, Don Marquis, probably not the fault of Chapter 4. Well, the next morning I'm feeling considerable better and think maybe I'm going to live after all. I got up earlier than Hank did and slipped out without him seeing me and didn't go nigh the shop at all. For now I've licked Hank once. I figure he won't rest till he has wiped that disgrace out and he won't care a dern what he picks up to do it with another. Now, there was a crick about a hundred yards from my house in the woods, and I went over there and laid down and watched it run by. I laid awful still, thinking I wished I was away from that town. Pretty soon a squirrel comes down and sets on a log and watches me. I throwed an acorn at him, and he scooted up a tree quicker than scat, and then I wished I hadn't scared him away, for it looked like he knowed I was in trouble. Pretty soon I takes a swim and comes out and lays there some more, spitting into the water and thinking, what shall I do now? And watching birds and things moving around, and ants working harder than, I, harder than I ever would again, unless I got better pray for it, unless I got better pay for it. And these here tumblebugs kicking their loads along hind end two. After a while, it is getting along toward noon, and I'm feeling hungry but I don't want to have no more trouble with Hank, and I just lays there. I hear two men coming through the underbrush. I riz up on my elbow to look, and one of them was Dr. Kirby, and the other was Louie. Only Louie wasn't an Injun this morning. They sets down on the roots of a big tree a little ways off with their backs toward me, and they ain't seen me. So naturally I listened to what they was jawing about, they was both kind of mad at the whole world, and at our town in particular, and some at each other, too. The doctor, he says, I haven't had such rotten luck since I played the bloodhound in the Tom show. Were you ever in Uncle Tom's cabin, artist, Louie? And a justice of the peace over in Iowa fined me five dollars for being on the street without a muzzle. Said it was a city ordinance. Talk about the gentle root being an easy mark. If these country towns don't get the wandering minstrel's money one way, they will another. It's your own fault, says Louie, kind of sour. I can't see it, says Dr. Kirby. How did I know that all these apple knockers had been filled up with Sykes's magic remedy only two weeks ago? I may have been a spiritualistic medium in my time now and then, he says, and a mind reader too. But I'm no prophet. I ain't talking about the business, Doc, and you know it, says Louie. We'd be all right and have our horses and wagon now if you'd only stuck to business and not got us into that poker game. Talk about suckers, Doc, for a man that has skinned as many of them as you have. You're the worst sucker yourself I ever saw. The doctor, he cusses the poker game and country towns and medicine shows and the whole creation and says he is so disgusted with life, he guesses he'll go and be a preacher or a bearded lady in a sideshow. 
But Louie, he don't cheer up none. He says, All right, Doc, but it's no use talking. You can talk, all right. We all know that. The question is, how are we going to get our horses and wagon away from these rubes? I listened some more, and I seen them fellas was really into bad trouble. Dr. Kirby, he had got into a poker game at Smith's Palace Hotel the night before, right after the show. He had one from Jake Smith, which run it, and from the others. But shucks, it never made no difference what you want in that crowd. They had done Dr. Kirby and Louie like they always done a drummer or a stranger that come along to that town and was fool enough to play poker with them. They wasn't a chance for an outsider. If the drummer lost, they would take his money and that would be all there was to it. But if the drummer got to winning good, someone would slip out in the hotel and tell Cy Emery, which was the city marshal, and Cy would get Ralph Scott, that worked for Jake Smith in his livery stable, and pin a star onto Ralph, too, and they would be arrested for gambling. Only them that lived in our town would get away, which Cy and Ralph was always scared every time they done it. Then the drummer, or whoever it was, would be took to the calaboose and spend all night there. In the morning, they would be took before Squire Matthews, that was the Justice of the Peace. They would be fined a big fine, and he would get all the drummer had won, and all he had brung to town with him besides. Squire Matthews, and Jake Smith, and Wendy Goodall, and Mott Watson, which the two last was lawyers, was always playing that there game on drummers that was fool enough to play poker. Hank. He says he bet they divided it up afterwards, though it was supposed them fines went to the town. Well, they played a pretty close a pretty close game of poker in our little town. It was just like the doctor says to Louie. By George, he says, it is a well-nigh perfect thing. If you lose, you lose, and if you win, you lose. Well, the doctor, he had started out winning the night before, and Cy Emery and Ralph Scott had arrested them. And that morning, while I had been laying by the creek and the rest of the town was seeing the fun, they had been took afore Squire Matthews and fined $125 apiece. The doctor, he tells Squire Matthews it is an outrage, and it ain't legal if tried in a bigger court, and there ain't that much money in the world so far as he knows, and he won't pay it. But the squire, he says the time has come to teach them traveling fakirs as is always running around the country with shows and electric belts and things that they gotta stop draining that town of hard-earned money, and he has decided to make an example of them. The only two lawyers in town is Wendy and Mott, which has been in the poker game themselves, the same as always. The doctor says the whole thing is a put-up job, and he can't get the money, and he wouldn't if he could, and he'll lay in that town calaboose and rot the rest of his life and eat the town poor before he'll stand it. And the squire says he'll just take their horses and wagon for collateral till they make up the rest of the $250. And the horses and wagon was now in the livery stable next to Smith's Palace Hotel, which Jake run that too. Well, I thinks to myself, it is a darn shame, and I felt sorry for them two fellows. For our town was just as good at stealing that proper, just, 
for our town was just as good as stealing that property. And I felt kind of ashamed of belonging to such a town, too. And I think to myself, I'd like to help them out of that scrape. And then I seen how I could do it, and not get took up for it, neither. So, without thinking, all of a sudden I jumps up and says, Say, Dr. Kirby, I got a scheme. They jumps up, too, and they looks at me startled. Then the doctor kind of laughs and says, Why, it's the young blacksmith. Louie, he says, looking at me hard and suspicious, What kind of a scheme are you talking about? Why, says I, to get that outfit of yon. You, you been listening to us, says Louie. Louie was one of them quiet-looking fellas that never laughed much nor talked much. Louie, he never made fun of nobody, which the doctor was always doing, and I wouldn't have cared to make fun of Louie much either. Yes, I says. I've been laying here for quite a spell, and quite natural, I listen to you, as anyone else would have done. And maybe I can get that team and wagon of yarn without it costing you a cent. Well, they didn't know what to say. They asked me how, but I says, leave it all to me. Walk right along down this here creek, I says, till you get to where it comes out in the woods and runs across the road in under an iron bridge. That's about half a mile east. Just after the road crosses the bridge, it forks. Take the right fork and walk another half mile, and you'll see a little yellow-painted schoolhouse setting lonesome on a sand hill. There ain't no school in it now. You wait there for me, I says, for a couple of hours. After that, if I ain't there, you'll know I can't make it. But I think I'll make it. They looks at each other, and they looks at me. Then they go off a little piece and talk low, and then the doctor says to me, Rube, he says, I don't know how you can work anything on us that hasn't been worked already. We got nothing more we can lose. You go to it, Rube. And they started off. So, I went over town. Jake Smith was sitting on the piazza in front of his hotel, chawing and spitting tobacco with his feet again the railing like he always done, and one of his eyes squinched up and his hat over the other one. Jake, I says, where's that there doctor? Jake, he spit careful afore he answered, and he pulled his long, scraggly mustache careful, and he squinched his eyes at me. Jake was a careful man in everything he done. I done know, Danny, he says. Why? Well, I says, Hank sent me over to get that wagon and them hosses of them and finish that job. That there wagon, says Jake, is in my barn, with Cy Emery watching her, and she has got to stay there till the law lets her loose. I figured to myself Jake could use that teaming wagon in his business, and was going to buy her cheap off in the town, what share of her he didn't figure he owned already. Why, Jake, I says, I hope they ain't been no trouble of no kind that has drugged the law into your barn. Well, Danny, he says, they has been a little trouble, but it's about over now, I guess, and that there outfit belongs to the town now. You don't say so, says I, surprised-like. When I seen them men last night, it looked to me they was too fine-dressed to be honest. I don't think they be, 
Danny, says Jake, confidential. In my opinion, they is mighty bad customers. But they has got on the wrong side of the law now, and I guess they won't stay around here much longer. Well, says I, Hank will be glad. For what? asks Jake. Well, says I, because he got his pay in advance for that job, and now he don't have to finish it. They come along to our place about sundown yesterday, and we nailed a shoe on one horse. There was a couple of other hoofs needed fixing, and the tire on one of the hind wheels was beginning to rattle loose. I had noticed that loose tire when I was standing by the hind wheel the night before, and it come in handy now. So, I goes on. Hank, he allowed he'd fix the whole thing for six bottles of that engine medicine. Elmira has been ailing lady lately, and he wanted it for her. So they handed Hank out six bottles then and there. Huh, says Jake. So the job is all paid for, is it? Yes, says I, and I was expecting to do it myself. But now I guess I'll go fishing instead. There ain't no other job in the shop. I'll be dinged if you got time to fish, says Jake. I'm expecting maybe to buy that rig off the town myself when the law lets loose of it. So if the fixin' is paid for, I want everything fixed. Jake, says I, kind of worried like, I don't want to do it without that doctor says to go ahead. They ain't hisn' no longer, says Jake. I don't know, says I, as you got any right to make me do it, Jake. It don't look to me like it's no harm to beat a couple of fellas like them out of their medicine, and I did want to go fishing this afternoon. But Jake was that careful and stingy. He'd try to skin a horse twice if it died. He's bound to get that job done now. Danny, he says, you got to do that work. It ain't honest not to. What a young feller like you just starting out into life wants to remember is to always be honest. Then, says Jake, squinching up his eyes, people trust you and you get a good chance to make money. Look at this here hotel and livery stable, Danny. Twenty years ago I didn't have no more than you got, Danny. But I always went by their mottoes. Hard work and being honest. You got to nail them shoes on, Danny, and fix that wheel. Well, all right, Jake, says I, if you feel that way about it. Just give me a chaw of tobacco and come around and help me hitch em up. Si Emery was there asleep on a pile of straw guarding that property, but Ralph Scott wasn't around. Si didn't wake up till we had hitched him up. He says he will ride him around to the shop with me, but Jake says, It's all right, Si. I'll go over myself and fetch him back pretty soon. Which Si was worn up, yeah, Si was wore out, is what he was, with being up so late the night before, and goes back to sleep again right off. Well, sir, there wasn't nothing went wrong. I drove slow through the village and passed our shop. Hank come to the door of it as I went past, but I hit them hosses a lick, and they broke into a right smart trot. Elmira, she come onto the porch, and I waved my hand at her. She put her hand up to her forehead to shut out the sun and just stared. She didn't know I was waving a farewell. Hank, he yelled something at me. 
but I never hearn what. I licked them hosses into a gallop and went around the turn of the road. And that's the last I ever seen or hearn of Hank or Elmira or that there little town.